0: You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. You guys can grab a seat. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Easter at Seabreeze. As you know, we've gathered uh, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 4, we read this. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. What this is saying is that the resurrection of Jesus offers us a new way to live, uh, a life that has a new set of patterns from the old patterns, a new direction and, and a new purpose. So how is it that Jesus and His re- resurrection does that? How is it that we actually end up with a new way to live? Well, He does it primarily by changing our identity. When we decide to follow Jesus Christ, the core of our identity shifts and change, changes, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, the way we view ourselves, our identity, is, is how we think of ourselves, how we feel about ourselves, how we see ourselves. And so our, our self-identity, our self-image, is experienced as this constant stream of thoughts and emotions and reactions to the people and circumstances of our life. Sometimes we are aware of this stream of thoughts and emotions, sometimes they kind of run below the surface and we don't really know what's going on inside of our heads. But we are constantly viewing ourselves and thinking about ourselves. And how we see ourselves drives what we do in life, how we respond to situations and people. So the question this morning is, how do you see yourself? There are many lenses that we use to view ourselves and to think about ourselves, many different identifiers. For me, for example, one of the lenses that I use to think of myself is I'm a husband, so I see myself As a husband, because that's one of the roles I play in life. I am a husband. I am also a grandfather. I am also the pastor of this church. That's what I do for my career. I also think of myself, view myself as a a good person, uh, a good man. So the fact that I'm a husband and, and a grandfather and a pastor and a good man, it isn't everything about me, but these identifiers and the other ones that I have, they give me direction in life. They help me to know what I should be doing. But what happens when one of those lenses gets cloudy or one of those identities is removed or is shaken? For example, if someone gets upset with me, it really shakes me because my identity as a good person is not agreed with by somebody else. And so they're looking at me and declaring something different about me than I think of myself, and it, it bothers me. I either get angry in response to that or sometimes I get discouraged in response to that. So clearly, the way I view myself isn't anchored very deeply if someone's thoughts about me can change how I think of myself. Another example is I'm a pastor. That's what I've done here at Seabreeze for over 32 years. There will be a day, most likely in the future, if God allows me to keep living, that I won't be a pastor. Now, no day soon, but I'm not going to do this forever. So who am I then when I'm no longer doing what I have done for decades. For example, I've also been married for 38 years now. Most likely, one of us will die before the other. So, for the person who is no longer married, who are we then after decades of marriage? And this is the challenge with how we view ourselves. As long as we point to something or someone in this world to answer the who am I question, our self image will be on semi-stable, somewhat shaky ground. Now, why can't we just look at ourselves in the mirror and declare who we are and declare our value? Why do we have to point to someone or something outside of ourselves to help us identify who we are? It's because of how we got this ability to think of ourselves in the first place, how we got our self-image. And that's the first thing I want to look at this morning. How was our self-image formed? Why is it that it appears that we are the only creatures on the planet who need to have this constant sense of value, and we need to establish our worth? Why is that? Well, it's because of the very first thing that's said about us as human beings in the Bible. This is the first statement made about us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What this is saying is that we, at the core of who we are, we are an image of God. And an image points to the original person or object that it is an image of. So what that means is that we, by nature, are secondary beings. We are not primary beings. Let me explain it this way. Here's a picture of me and my shadow. My shadow is an image of me. It's an outline of me. Now, I am primary, and my shadow is secondary. In other words, I move, and my shadow follows, not vice versa. My shadow doesn't take off, and I find myself being dragged along. No, I move, and my shadow tags along. Now, both me and my shadow are real, but my shadow is secondary, and therefore it is dependent on me. It would not exist without me. It does not have power on its own without me. It is attached to me. And that's really a good example of who we are. We are image bearers of God. We are somewhat like shadows of him. We are made in his image. Now, both of us are real. God is real, and I am real. You are real. But God is primary, and we are secondary. In other words, he does not need us, but we need him. I don't need my shadow. My shadow hasn't done any work for me in my whole life. Hasn't lifted anything, hasn't accomplished anything. It just hangs around. It tags along. So I don't need my shadow, but my shadow needs me. It's the same thing with God. God doesn't really need us, but we desperately need him. So when we speak of having a self-image, that makes as much sense as having a self-shadow. There's no such thing as a self-shadow. It's always attached to something. That's why we cannot declare our own value. That's why we need to point to something, because we are, by nature, image bearers. We are like shadows. And shadows always point to something that they are a shadow of. They always stand next to the object that they are to be cast by. And if we don't stand next to God and point to Him as the fundamental origin of who we are and why we are valuable, then we're going to have to point to something else. And it's going to have to be a big something else because we have a God-sized image. And therefore, we need a God-sized something to point next to, to make us feel valuable. Now, we are a different kind of shadow. Than every other shadow we know of because we are God's shadows we are created in his image and he created us as shadows to be free so we can do what no other image can do we can and we do walk away from God we can run our own lives but when we do that what we do is we lose our sense our true sense of worth our true sense of self and this is what's happened to the human race. So how did this happen? How did we lose our self-image? How did that accomplish? How, how does that happen? Well, it, it occurred when the first image bearers, Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman, they sinned. God told them to not eat of the forbidden fruit. That was the only requirement. And they did that. They went independent, decided they knew better. And in doing so, they experienced what it was like to be separate from God, to be an image bearer, to be a shadow removed from the solid thing that it is to be cast by. So right after they sinned, we read in Genesis 3:7, the very next thing that happened is this. Then, right after they sinned, ate of the forbidden fruit, then the eyes of both of them were opened. And what did they see? They realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I remember when I first read that years ago, when I was younger, I thought, how do you not realize that you're naked? I mean, that just doesn't happen. You don't walk outside and say, like, oh, I knew there was something I forgot. That just doesn't happen to us. So how did this happen to them? Well, a clue is the only time that this happens now to anyone is when someone's young, with little kids. Little kids do this. They'd run around the house completely naked. And they don't even think about it. Why? Because they're completely innocent. And therefore, they are completely comfortable with who they are. They're not insecure about themselves. And that's what it was like for Adam and Eve before they sinned. They were innocent. They had never sinned. And what that meant is they were totally and completely comfortable in the presence of God as His image bears. But the moment they sinned, the moment they decided to behave like primary beings rather than secondary beings, the first thing that changed was their self-awareness, the way they viewed themselves. Separated from God, they lost their true and original sense of self. Now that choice has affected every image bearer since then, every one of us. And now as descendants of Adam and Eve, we are all born into a world that has declared It's independence from God. We're all independent shadows. Now, for a short time, we feel the innocence of childhood, but it doesn't take long for the effects of this separation from God to show up in our lives, in our choices, and then in our own struggle to establish a true sense of worth. We start struggling with this as kids. This is why so much emphasis is placed on trying to build up And establish the self-esteem of a child because we we can sense that they're struggling and we know how important this is. But trying to build up self-esteem isn't the solution. It's only an acknowledgement of the problem. And the reason is because we don't really have self-worth. What we have is shadow worth. We can't declare ourselves to be worthy and have that really resonate with us because we're shadows. Our worth is attached to something else. Our value is established by what we stand next to. Sometimes we stand next to a person, maybe the person we're married to, and, and they are what we re- help us really feel value about ourselves. Sometimes we stand next to accomplishment, maybe a career, something that we've done for decades and done well, and, and that's how we establish our value. We point to that, and that helps us feel better about ourselves. Or maybe it's something that we own, a, an acquisition that, that is significant. We stand next to that. We're always standing next to something. We're always pointing to something because we're shadows. And without God, we need to find something else big enough to stand next to before we're going to feel valuable. But here's the challenge we have. Anything that we stand next to to establish a sense of worth in this world is too small. If we're not going to be attached to God, anything else is too small because it's, it's not big enough. It will eventually fail us. It's not eternal. It would be kind of like me trying to hide behind this music stand. It's just not big enough. The outline of this music stand is in no way close. I can't, I can't get behind it. It's, it's not large enough to cover the shape of who I am. We are a God-sized shadow an image of him. Nothing in this world will last long enough or be big enough for us to stand next to. So that brings us to the third point. How can our self-image be reattached to God? That's the only way we're ever going to have a true sense of self. So how do we reattach ourselves to God? Well, in the story of Peter Pan, Peter leaves Neverland to do what? You remember? To find his shadow. That's why he left Neverland. And to catch his shadow and reattach his shadow to himself. So let's take a look at this clip. Come back. I saved your shadow for you. Oh, I do hope it isn't rumpled. You know, you look exactly the way I thought you would. Oh, a little taller, perhaps, but then. Oh, you can't stick it on with soap, Peter. It needs sewing. That's the proper way to do it. Most of the, the good stories, the stories like Peter Pan that we read to our kids and that are made into movies again and again, most of the good stories contain significant themes from the great and true story, God's story. And what Peter was trying to do in this story is what Jesus did, in fact, in the true and great story. He left heaven to reattach us as shadows to God. And like Peter's shadow, we we run. We flee from God. But once we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, our shadow is reattached. And we begin to taste and grow in a true understanding of ourselves again. Our identity is shaped, changed and shifted. It's described this way in Ephesians 1, verse 3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Those last two words are critical. In Christ, not next to Christ, not in the proximity of Christ. But in Christ, these two words are repeated many times in the New Testament because it describes how it is that we are reattached to God, how our shadow, how our image returns home again. So what does it mean to be in Christ? Well, again, we need our shadow reattached to the one who created us in his image. We try to attach our shadow to everything else on earth, and it it fails us, eventually fails us. So how do we get reattached to God? Why can't we just return to God and reattach ourselves? Say we've made a mistake. We want to return to God. We want to be reattached to Him. Why is that not enough? Well, it's because the separation from God caused by our sin has changed us. We've become different people. The moral outline of our life no longer resembles the moral outline of God's character. And there's... A rule about a shadow that is unbreakable. Shadows must represent exactly the outline of the objects or the people that they are a shadow of. There's no exceptions to this. So back to the picture of my shadow. This isn't a a reasonable approximation of me. This is an exact representation of me. It's my shadow. So let's look at the second picture. What is this a shadow of? It's a shadow of a wrench. Actually, this wrench right here, we took a picture of with me holding it. Now, there's a significant difference between the outline of the shadow cast by this wrench and the outline of the shadow cast by me. Two very different shapes. And this is the challenge we have with reattaching ourselves to God the moral outline of our life no longer resembles the moral outline of God. And we can't contort ourselves into a sinless life any more than this wrench can morph itself into the shape of me. We can do better or worse, but we're never going to make ourselves once again fit within the moral outline of who God is. That's hopeless. So what did God do? While he sent his son in the form of a man. His name was Jesus Christ. He was God in flesh. And what that means is that he now casted a perfect human shadow in the exact image of God. The outline of his life is moral perfection. And so when we place our lives into the hands of Jesus, we are now standing inside the outline of his moral shadow. And what that means is the outline of his perfect life now eclipses the moral outline of my imperfect, sinful life. Let me illustrate it this way. If If I take this wrench and I put it inside the outline of me, it's now in me, what do you see behind me? Me. That's the outline you see. The wrench is still here, but my body is now eclipsing the outline of the wrench. So all you see on the wall behind me in this picture is the outline of my body. This is the same effect when we put our lives in Christ. Your life is now in his shadow. And his perfection now eclipses your moral failures. You know, after the shadow is caught by Peter Penn, he begins to try to figure out how to reattach his shadow. And how does he do it? He tries to attach it with what? Soap. And that's really how people try to reattach their lives to God. They, they get out the moral soap, and they start scrubbing some aspect of their lives, trying to clean it up, and they, they try to reattach themselves to God that way. But what does Wendy say about that? It never sticks. Remember what she said? Oh, Pita, you can't stick it on with soap. It requires what? It needs what? Sewing. And that's the truth with our shadows you can't clean yourself up enough to reattach to the outline of god's moral character it's going to require some sewing so how does the sewing of our lives to jesus christ occur well there are two sewing words and they are the two titles that describe who jesus is these are the two words that the angels used To describe Jesus on the night that he was born, they said these two words to the shepherds outside of the city of Bethlehem, announcing the birth of Christ. Here's what they said in Luke 2, verse 11. Today, in the town of David, a Savior, that's the first title, has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. That's the second title. So we sow our lives, we attach our lives to Jesus Christ, and therefore put ourselves inside his shadow, his perfection. By deciding to ask Jesus to be our Savior. Not just a Savior, but our personal Savior. What that means is we stop trying to change the shape of our wrench-like life into perfection. We still try to be moral, but we realize we're not good enough. We can never get inside the moral outline of what it should be. And we recognize that only Jesus can forgive us for our sin and qualify us to spend eternity with God. So we ask Him to be our Savior. And then we decide to follow Him as Lord. Now, these are really two sides of the same coin. It's the reattach your life to Jesus Christ decision. They're, not, they're, they're kind of two different aspects, but they're, they're really the same decision. They go together. And when you decide to follow Jesus as Lord, what that means is you simply decide to stay as close as you possibly can inside the moral outline of what Jesus has said. And what that means practically is the Bible becomes your guide for life because it contains the words of God. And you learn these words and you guide your life by these words. These words become your map for life. No one does it perfectly, but if Jesus is going to be our Lord, that means we keep getting back on track with Him. Now, this sewing is not just a one stitch activity. This is a lifelong activity. It does begin with the first stitch. The first stitch is very important. That's how it begins. You ask Jesus to be your Savior, forgive you for your sins, and you decide to follow Him as your boss, as your Lord. Now, sometimes people just do that first stitch and they stop sewing. And they become like shadows that are flopping all around. You, you, you have a hard time really understanding what change has been made. Sometimes people sew one stitch and two stitches and they, they sew a few more and then they stop because they get discouraged. Because once you accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that's an activity that needs to continue. You keep accepting Him. What I mean by that is Just because you've decided to follow Jesus doesn't mean you instantly become moral perfection. None of us do. So, having accepted his forgiveness, you then sin again. And at that point in time, you get out the thread and needle and you thank Jesus for being your Savior and forgiving you. And then you get back on track and follow him as your Lord. And then you sin again and you thank Jesus for being your Savior and you get back on track and follow him as your Lord. And then you sin again. And this goes on and on and on and on. And what happens over time, if you just will keep sowing, the outline of your life begins increasingly to resemble the original purpose that God had for you. You become increasingly the person that God meant you to be. And what happens then is when the things that you stand next to in this world are taken from you or are shaken You're sad, you're shaken, but you're not destroyed. When your marriage crumbles, when your kids disappoint you, when you retire from your job, when you lose your job, those things are hard, but you have an identity that's real. It's not just a temporary something you're standing next to. It's the God who created you. And now you're on a solid foundation. So this new identity in Christ is not just an add-on to all of our other identities. It is the foundation of all identities. We are in Christ. We're not just Christians who happen to be fathers and mothers. We are Christians at the very core of who we are. And everything else is added on. They're good things, but they're not the core of who we are. And that transforms us over time. Why don't you take a look at this video?
1: Our mission at Seabreeze Church is to thoughtfully invite broken people to experience transformation in Christ. My name is Linda Compton, and I'd like for you to hear how my family and I have experienced this. In 1998, I was a single mom raising my two sons, and I was looking for a new church. I had been raised in the church, and I had raised my sons as well in the church, but we were looking for a better fit. My oldest son, Ryan, was playing baseball, and one of the moms invited us to Seabreeze. We started to come. Ryan even got involved in youth, but over time, the boys stopped coming with me on Sundays. In high school, the boys got caught up with a group of kids that thought it was cool to get drunk and experiment in drugs. So by the age of 18, my youngest son, Brandon, went to rehab. I felt sad, very sad, and like a failure. I actually remember in 2006, bringing Brandon from rehab to a Good Friday service and Easter service. In 2015, my oldest son, Ryan, also went into rehab. Those were a very hard 10 years. After my divorce, I had committed to start to becoming more involved in Seabreeze and was attending growth groups. In growth groups, I experienced the love, mercy, and grace of people that I had never experienced before in church. In 2008, I was baptized at Seabreeze. And I actually remember Ryan coming to church with me that day. After rehab, though, for Brandon, he went to college and played baseball out of state. At one point during a break, I brought him to young adults. It was there that he felt the love of Jesus and he started to connect as well. Now, if you know Brandon, you know he's a connector. And if he finds something exciting, he's gonna tell everybody. And if he starts coming to church, he's gonna bring everybody. And Brandon brought a lot of people. He brought two people in particular, Travis and Tyler. Over time and after many ups and downs with drugs and staying clean, Brandon decided to accept Jesus and was baptized in 2011. Within the next couple years, Travis and Tyler also accepted Jesus and were baptized. This brings me back to Ryan. Ryan and I had actually become estranged because of his drug use. He stopped coming to church, but... He continued to stay in contact with Brandon, Travis, and Tyler, and actually, it was Tyler who got Ryan into rehab in 2015, just one month before his son was born. After rehab, Ryan came to church off and on. It took a while, but eventually, in 2021, Ryan was baptized at the beach, just. Under 10 years exactly from the time that Brandon was baptized. Who could write that story? Only God. He continues to grow as a man of God, is serving here at Seabreeze, and is raising his sons in the church. Today, Brandon lives near Phoenix with his wife Kaylee and his two kids. They both lead the young adults in their church. Travis met his wife, Cassidy, here, and they both bring their daughters to church. Tyler, unfortunately, his life was cut short, but his mom, Kathleen, is an active member of Seabreeze and brings his daughter. There's so much more to our story than what I've said here. More testimonies, more people that have been impacted and who have impacted me, but the most important part is that Jesus can transform lives, and those lives can impact others, and Jesus has done that for me and my family.
0: Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.